Now, Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. Most importantly, we thank you for who you are and for your son, Jesus Christ. For that gift of grace. For your Holy Spirit who lives and abides in those who are in Christ. And we thank you for your word. It's the, the Holy Spirit and the word of God are the two things that you have left with us to help us to get through life. When Jesus went through the temptation after he was baptized in the river Jordan by John. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And the two things that he had was the spirit of God with him that led him there. And the word of God that he used to stand on to rebuke the devil and to stay firm against him. And so, Father, you, that was the trial run for what you've left us. And we have your complete word. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. It is our manna from heaven, Father, like they ate for that 40 years in the wilderness. This is our manna. And so, Father, I pray your anointing upon your word this day. I pray that it will go to nourish and to edify each and every one of us that are here. And may we take your word with us and build a complex in our soul of edification of the word of God that no, nothing can penetrate it and that we will stay strong in your way. And through it all, we want to give you all honor, all the glory, we pray that our worship is acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, whenever Ray had uh, the communion meditation and he asked for this slide to be put up there, it's what got me motivated on the lesson last week and this week, actually. I had, I had felt I had been led in this direction, and it was a confirmation of, of what it was. It says at the top, sometimes you don't even realize what God's doing for you. And it, and it shows the young man who's walking down the street. He's unaware of the battle, the spiritual battle that's going on all around him. How that the forces of darkness are trying to get to him, but the forces of God are fighting against that and protecting him and keeping him. And that you know why God does that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And I'm going to show you that scripture here in just a minute as we get there. But this is what was the motiv motivation behind what, what we're talking about today. The Lord, your God, loves you. Yes, he does. And today, let's see the awesome example of God's love for his people as found with Balak and Balaam that we started out with last week and, and what God does for us. But today I want to shift it a little bit. We're going to start with God's love and I want to show you how much God loves you from his word. And then I want to switch it over to a few lessons from the word of God about Balaam and Balak and how it applies to us in our daily living. Because, you know, we can learn all kinds of things and study the history of the Bible and the people but if we don't have some sort of application for it into our life, all we're gaining is knowledge, but not something that's going to help benefit us. So that's what we want to do today is to find some examples that benefit us and shows how it works in our life today. Because uh, the Lord, our God, loves us, and he put this in here for our learning. It says everything that is written was written for your learning so that you might know these things. And so it will build us up. So what happened was, and what we saw last week, was that Balak was afraid because he saw all the children of Israel camped out down there. And so he sent, he, he felt in the physical realm that he couldn't handle the problem, nor his army. So he figured he had to go to supernatural forces. But instead of relying on the God of heaven, he started relying on the forces of darkness instead. And he called one who had been a wizard, a soothsayer, and one who could pronounce curses, and the people was cursed. And so he, he sent for him and wanted him to come so that he could curse the children of Israel. And just like that young man right there in that, in that picture, the reason I put that there is because what I want us to know is the entire time that Moses and the children of Israel was camped out below, they had no idea that up on the mountain was all the forces of darkness and hell, the gates of hell, trying to destroy the people of God that was down below. 
they had no idea until later when God revealed it to them. But at the time they were camped there, they had no idea. I'm going to tell you. I've debated all week. It, it popped into my mind. And, and I'm going to go ahead and share something with you that only my wife has known. When I was at work. And I'd got a promotion. I didn't know how God protected me just like this against the forces of darkness. There was a man that was in there that had been there 15 years longer than I had. Been in that department. He became mentally uh, challenged. And uh, I got promoted and so did another younger guy that had been there about the same time as, as I had. And years later, I found out from a buddy of mine, because he had kept it from me for all that time. Years later, he said, do you remember when all of that happened? And, um, and that guy was a little angry. And then later on, he put an article. This was years ago in the 90s. or Yeah, it was late 90s. He put an article in the, cut out an article from the paper about a guy who had, from the post office or something, doused the supervisor with gasoline and tried to set him on fire. And he, when he posted that on the board, the supervisor turned it over to HR and he ended up getting fired. But before that, I guess with, with what had happened to me, I found out when we were talking about that and him getting fired, he said, you know, he wanted to kill you, didn't he? I said, no. He said, yeah. He said, I went out from work and I saw him sitting in his car and I went over to talk to him and there was a gun in his lap. I said, What's, what are you doing with that? And he said, Darrell, and he named the other guy and he said, they must have said something about me or did something to, to jump over me in that promotion and I'm going to take care of them. And he said, they, they didn't have nothing to do in that. That was the decision of the bosses. And he said, look, I've been here longer than you, and they jumped me too. And um, you and I will never know how many times the Lord God has protected you from some kind of problem or some kind of person or some kind of devious thing to stop you from being a servant of God and doing what's good for the Lord because they hate you. Whenever the, the world hates the body of Christ because it's a threat to them and their way. And I had no idea that the Lord had protected me. And he had sent someone else there to, to talk to that person and talk him out of it. And he talked him into leaving and following him and going having, uh, you know, supper and... and Praise God that he loves you that much. And he loved me that he will protect us. Why? Because he loves us. I wasn't going to share it, but I just felt moved that you guys don't understand and realize all the times that he's doing it until we get to that heavenly realm and it will be revealed to you. And I bet your guardian angel is going to tell you of the times that you was in trouble and he's going to show them to you and you're going to remember and you're going to thank God that he loved and he cared for you that much. He said whenever Balaam was trying to curse Israel and to destroy them, he said, you shall not curse my people for they are blessed and I will turn your cursings into blessing. And why? Because he loves us. Moses giving instructions. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 4 and 5 it says this. You're going to go into this land of the Ammonites and the Moabites. Now, you shall not enter into the assembly of the Lord anyone from Moab and Ammon. Why? Because they did not meet you with friendship whenever you was walking through their country, but they wanted to curse you. They didn't give you bread. They didn't give you water. They didn't show you friendship. So, they did not meet you with that when you came out of Egypt because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor to curse you. Nevertheless, I want you to get this. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. 
But the Lord your God turned their curses into blessing. Why? Because the Lord your God loves you. When, when I read that this week, it was like a love letter penned to you from the God of heaven that just says, the Lord your God loves you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I might spank you and you might get yourself into trouble and you might end up paying a price for it. But it's going to be because of you, not me. I'm going to try to, my best to keep you out of these. You know how much God loves us? I want you to take these down. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Isaiah 43, you listen to this one. As we wander through this life, he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they're not going to overwhelm or overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. For I, the Lord your God, I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. And because you are precious in my eyes, and you are honored. That's a promise from the God of heaven. And he says, you are honored and precious in my eyes. And these things will not touch you. And at the bottom of verse 4 it says, and not only are you precious in my sight, I love you. I don't know how he can do it, but he does. I know the wretch I am. The Lord God wants us to know in Romans 5 and verse 8 that he demonstrated his own love toward you and I that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we have the privilege to be called the children of God. And then he says, this is how God showed us his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, because while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ. It's not about that we had to love God first, but God loved us first and showed the love first to us. And gave his son as a atoning sacrifice for our sins. That we who believe in him would be cleansed. And how is that? In Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. Jesus after his resurrection. Getting ready for his ascension. He said to them. All authority. I've done it. We've, we've done it. The victory is ours. All authority has been given to me by the father on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. People always say, I don't know enough yet. No. It says, you make the commitment, and then you'll learn. Teaching them all of my ways to observe them that I've commanded you. And behold, here's your promise to those who are disciples and make that commitment. I am with you Always. How long's always? Forever. It's a long time. Forever. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. Therefore, I'm going to give you another promise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ made that promise before he resurrected, but he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that promise stands for all of eternity. Amen. He doesn't change. God can't. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gifts from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom? With God. There is no changing or a shadow of change. He doesn't go walk one way and then turn his back on you and go another. He says, I don't change. This is the way it is. Follow me. Walk with me. And this is what I am doing for you. And now as promised, I want to give you a First, I wanted you to know how much he has loved and what God's done for us. 
Now I want to give you a couple of life lessons from Balaam and Balak if you're ready for it. Numbers chapter 22. Turn to Numbers 22. That's where we left off last week if you'll remember. And, and he was trying to curse him and he saw what God saw down below. And you remember when they were camped in their tents and pitched in the valley. You remember what, what God saw that he revealed to Balaam? He saw the cross, didn't he? Because we read in Numbers chapter 1 and 2 that here's the way you, they were towed to camp. Down wherever they're at for 40 years in the wilderness, God said, here's how you're going to camp. And my tabernacle is going to be in the center with the Levites around it, my priests. And then from the east is Judah and to the west and then to the south and north. All of, all of the tribes, there was three in each of the four directions. And when you put out how many there was and how they were camped, it came to the image of a cross. So when God looks down from heaven at the camp that is camped the way he has told them to camp, he doesn't see you, I, Israel. He sees the cross. He sees Jesus in us. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That he sees my life is hidden in Christ. But now I want to give you a couple of life lessons from Balaam and Balak who tried to curse the people of God and they couldn't do it. So in Numbers 22, 1 through 3, that's where we had left them when the children of Israel now, they have moved on and they're getting ready to go and prepare to cross into the promised land and they're going to be camped and stationed right out here in this valley. And as they moved and camped in the plains of Moab on this side of the Jordan across from Jericho, so they're on the east side and Jericho's on the west, Balak, the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done up to this time. And he was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And now I want you to catch this. It says Moab. That's the entire group of Moab up there with Balak, their king. They were sick with dread because of the children of Israel. You ever been sick with dread because of some people that you thought were more powerful than you, had more sway than you, at your job they're, they're after you and the supervision's after you and people's trying to stab you in the back, your friend? Have you ever been afraid of a group that they were against you? He had this fear. He felt like Balak, the king of the Moabites, looked down there and felt that there he presumed this is where we get in trouble when we presume things he presumed that they were a threat to him and that they were powerful enough to destroy them and they all became scared and i want you to know it was for nothing we're not given a spirit of fear are we but love courage and sound mind but how many times do we let things get to us i have i'll admit it but that's not the spirit that we're supposed to have. They got this spirit of fear and dread that ran without through them. And I can't say even though we're saying now in hindsight that it was presumed that they shouldn't have had no fear. They did. And I want to tell you why they shouldn't have. And this same thing applies to us. There's an estimated two and a half million people camped down there in the children of Israel. Two and a half million. They're there. They've already beat the the. Uh, Ammonites, Amorites there. So Balaam looks down there and he's exceedingly afraid he's sick because he's heard about these people. Now, he didn't have the internet to research who these children of Israel were and what they had done, did he? But you know what he had? The interstate. He didn't have an internet, but they had an interstate because you have trade routes. And there was a great trade route that went all the way from Rome through Egypt and all the way back over to India that ran right through there. And at that time, the interstate was like the Pony Express. They delivered the mail. So as these traders would go on their trade route, whatever they learned going either to Egypt or on to another country, and then when they came back to go back home, they were learning things along the way of what was going on. And as they stopped in all of these towns and villages going back, they shared the news to them. And they would begin telling them all that was going on out here. So the, the interstate and the merchants began delivering the stuff. And it says that he knew 
what Israel had done from this interstate travel and from the word that was being given to them. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at what happened. You remember a couple months ago when we were in Joshua? And you remember Rahab the harlot whenever the spies went into the land and she took them into the inn and she put them up on the roof to hide them. But before, before they could even lay down, look what it says there in, in Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Before they could even lay down to hide from the guards, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know, you see that? I know that the Lord has given you the land. The terror of you has fallen on us. All the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard. The word has been spread. We've heard for 40 years. Because we heard 40 years ago how the Lord dried up the Red Sea. And how that then the waves came over and destroyed Egypt. And the chariots. We heard that. For 40 years we've been listening to what's been going on. That you came out of Egypt. And now all the way through, through the desert you've came. And now you've, you've uh, on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, you've defeated them. So we've heard these things, verse 11, and our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone. Because the Lord your God he is God. Do you see how the interstate travel tells every word? You know what? God doesn't need us to preach his gospel for him. Because you know why? We go, we go into Walmart. We go to work and we don't say a word to anyone. But the pagans on the, the merchant trip, they tell everybody what God is doing out there in the land. And here we are, we haven't said anything about it. So God has to use, he will get the word to them. This is a pagan land. No one, God didn't send missionary teams out there to them. No one's going out there door knocking or handing out pamphlets. But the word of God gets to people. I've given you the doctrine of heathenism before. People think, oh, well, how can that happen over there? Because they've never heard the word. God brings the word to every single person on the face of the earth in every generation. And anyone who has the heart and the mind that starts to be turned toward God, he provides information to them. God is a righteous God, not willing that any would perish, but all come to repentance and all have the ability to hear the word of God. She said, we have heard, even though none of your missionaries have come to tell us about it. You come to spy out the land and see how you can take us, but we've already heard the power of God and what he's doing with you, and now I'm a believer. Will you save my house when you come? The word of God was already there. We heard. So now, whenever these interstate merchants have been brought that for 40 years, they all heard, and their hearts are melting. So now I have a little more appreciation for whenever we get to Balak and he sees him down there below his mountain and now he's afraid because he's heard these things that's going on and how, you know what some of the other things he's heard of? <clears throat> Give me that next slide, Miss T. This is some of the things, did you ever think about this? Didn't it say in Exodus and in Numbers that the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of the cloud by day never departed from the camp of the children of Israel. God never departed from them. The same promise we have when Jesus said, I will never forsake you, that I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. The pillar of fire was over them by day, and the, or by night, and the pillar of smoke by day. And you know what he saw? Their God dwells with these people. People should see that in our life. They should go, man, God dwells with them. Look what he's doing. It, it takes 30 to 40 days to go from Moab to Mesopotamia where Balaam is. So when Balak sends two different delegations to try to get him to come over, that's anywhere, they've already been there, and he's already gathering up the Midianites to become involved with them to destroy these people. So we're looking at 70 to 90 days, Israel is camped 
in his valley. And do you know what Balak sees every single night? The fire. The smoke. He had heard about that from all of those merchants traveling through. And now I see it. Their God is with them. The same God that, that destroyed the chariots of Egypt, the most powerful nation. The same God that parted an entire Red Sea and crossed his people over. And then the Red Sea engulfed Egypt. I've heard it, but now I see it. They said that the fire and the cloud protected them and stopped them so that they could cross over and then went back on them. Not only is he seeing that, but what else did they hear? Not only was God dwelling with his people and doing these things, and I am seeing it firsthand from the mountaintop, but also, and there's two and a half million people. How are they eating out here? Well, God's feeding them every morning, isn't he? He's providing manna. And every morning he's watching them go out like clockwork and getting what the Lord God's provided for them out there. And, and, and you know what? It hit me as I was writing this. You know what one of the biggest miracles in the word of God is that I never thought about? How you got the manna and it wasn't dirty. I mean, God lays it like dew on the ground. And they would go out and scoop it up and put it in their jars or their bowls and take it in. And I'm thinking... It didn't get dirty. And it's supposed to taste like honey, and honey's sticky. But I don't see that they're like, I got to get all the sand out of it. I got to get all the twigs and the leaves. Isn't that an amazing miracle? They go out, and there's this food on the ground every morning, and they gather it up, and it's clean. Wow. Not only that, how are they drinking? There's two and a half million people with all of their animals. Remember the water out of the rock and the thing? We've heard about that. And he's seeing it. Would you be afraid? Logic would tell you to be afraid of these people from what all you've heard. And now you're seeing it for about 90 days firsthand down there in your valley, isn't it? All that's true. Our hearts have melted. We're, we're done for. I've got to bring someone in because... God is a spiritual thing and he's a spiritual power for them. So I've got to bring in an opposing force to try to deal with this. So he sends over there for, for Balaam. Everything that we read last week and that we're going to study today all evolves around fear. Around the fear of Balak on the people of God. You know, Israel's always been challenged throughout their entire existence, haven't they? Christians have two in other nations. We've been fortunate to be in a Christ-centered nation. It's rapidly coming to an end on that. I pray that us, our kids, and none of our grandkids ever have to face the things that they are in other nations. We've got to pray diligently for that. But the people of the world fear the true people of God who stand up for it. But they, Balak, you know why I said it, it was a supposedly presumed fear that was in him? He shouldn't have feared. Do you know why he feared? Because here's the lesson that I want to give you of life from Balaam and Balak. The word of God, Bible doctrine and knowledge of the word of God is the most important thing in the world. There is nothing more important for you and your life than the word of God. If he had known the word of God, he wouldn't have been afraid. Actually, he'd have went down there and been friends with him. You want to know why? Okay, I'm glad you do, Johnny. I'm glad you're hungry for it. He had no reason to be fearful. Because they weren't going to do nothing to him anyway. Make sure where I'm at. What's my next slide, Miss T? Yeah. Oh, before I do. See, the other thing that he was seeing down there was a fit people. Because not only had God done all those things that I told you about uh, with the water from the rock, the fire by night and the cloud by day and the manna and the different things. He also promised them that if you walk in my ways, you're going to be healthy. Disease ain't going to touch you. And I'm, I'm going to, to not let your sandals wear out while you're marching. For 40 years, you can wear the same pair of sandals, the same pair of clothes. You might want to wash them every once in a while. But, but I'll, I'll make sure you don't wash them out 
to where you can't wear them. And no, no woman, what a blessing, miscarried the entire time. He said, I'm going to provide all that for you to show you that I'm God. And then it says this, when Moses, after this is all over, and he's getting ready to go up on the mountain to meet God, and God's going to bury him himself, it says that Moses was 120 years old when he died, and his eyes were not weak, and his strength had not left him. He was 120 years old, and he was still as strong and powerful and everything going the same as when he was 30 and 40 years old. My buddy Caleb, I love Caleb. You know what Caleb means in the Hebrew? Anybody remember? Dog. So here's a boy named Dog that grows up. Dogs weren't real like back then in those times. They were scavengers. But Caleb, he grew up to be God's best friend. Whenever they sent those 12 spies over into the land, it was Joshua and Caleb who came back with the good report. You remember that? All the rest of the hearts had melted because of the giants that were in the land, the Amalekites and, and all of those people that was over there. Oh, they were all afraid. But Caleb said, I ain't afraid of them. The Lord God said he's given it to us. I rest on that promise and I want to go take them. The rest of the people said no. And so he had to spend 45 more years wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, spending five years of fighting those people in Jericho and Ai and all the different things to, to capture the land for God. And whenever it came time for him to get what rightfully belonged to him, he's 85 years old. And Caleb looks at him and said, Joshua, I want my mountain. He said, I was 40 years old when I went over there. And I said, I followed God fully. My heart was on him. And I said, we can take the land. My brothers lacked faith. They made everyone fearful. So now, I've had to spend 45 years in this wilderness putting up with stuff. I've spent 45 years in wilderness and in this battle. And the time has come. We've came to the land that I want. He said, I want that mountain. You know who was on the mountain? The giants. He said, I want that mountain because they are the ones that are up there. They're the ones that caused the problem with the people here and why I had to keep doing this for 45 years. They are the ones that, that stood in our way and that were against God. So he said, and now behold, I am 85 years old this day. And I am still as strong as the day I was when I went across there. There is nothing wrong with me. I'm ready to go into battle. And I know I'm coming out of the battle. And I want my mountain. Praise God for the Caleb's that have been faithful to God holy, like he says with his heart. He says, you know Moses promised me, so now give me my mountain that he said I could have. Oh, praise God for them. I got to. Oh, where am I? Okay, give me the next slide. Yeah, we're back to there. So this is the people, the Caleb's that are down there. They've seen Balak is sitting on top of the mountain and seeing all that's going on. And he's afraid. Johnny, you said you want to know why he shouldn't be, why I'm saying it was just a presumed fear. Okay, let's do it. Because here's what happened. A few months ago, when it was time for them to get ready to proceed to the promised land, God spoke to Moses. And he said, you know what? You've circled around this mountain and this wilderness long enough. It's time for you to turn northward and, and eastward, and it's time for you to get going up there. And he says, what I want you to do is um, start marching. You know who the Moabites are? Let me tell you a little story about who the Moabites are. You remember we studied this on Wednesday nights in Genesis last year. The Moabites were the children of Lot. You remember who Lot was? The nephew of Abraham. Lot's father had died, and Abraham took him into his household. And he had led him all the way over into God's country. And he had stayed with Abraham for years. And he knew Abraham's God. How do I know that? Second Peter chapter 2 says 
that Lot was a righteous man and his soul was vexed because he had pitched his tent towards Sodom and then got involved in Sodom. And it said that his soul was being vexed every day by being in there because he was, he was godly and trying to fight the things that was going on in there. So I know that he was. He knew God. He had known what all he's done with Abraham all of these years and what he's done. And so whenever it came time to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels came and told him, there was only four. You know, remember how Abraham had bargained God down all the way to ten? And God said, even if there's ten, I'll not destroy them. But they could only get four. And Lot's wife turned her back and looked back when she was told not to and turned into a pillar of salt. So there was only three, three souls that left Sodom and Gomorrah. And that was Lot and his two daughters. His eldest daughter, one night while they're camped up there in the, in the hills, she came up with a scheme. We're out here all by ourselves. Told her other sister, we're not ever going to have any kids because, you know, we're up here with nobody but dad. So I got a plan if you're in with it with me. Let's get him drunk tonight. Let's hop, I'll hop on him tonight. And she did. The next night, the other daughter got him drunk, and she did, and they both became pregnant. The firstborn daughter bore a son to Lot and called his name Moab. The second daughter had a son, Ben-Ami, which became the children of Ammon. So the nation of Ammon and the Moabites are the descendants of Lot, descendants of a child of God. But they turned their back on God. And they turned their back on God's word. Because Lot being a man of God. And coming out and being blessed. And when these children started being born and going. God made a promise. God made a promise in Deuteronomy chapter 2. If you want to turn there with me. If not we've got it right here. Moses and the children of Israel are getting ready. To, to march that way through Moab. And as they're getting ready to journey. They've been journeying in the wilderness. By the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord said. You've skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people saying. Now look what God says to Moses. You are about to pass through the territories of your brethren. First you're going to come through Esau. Which was another one of the people of God. Who had forgotten about God and left. Whenever it was Jacob and Esau. And he said. They live on Mount Seir, so they will be afraid of you. You see, they've all heard about you. They're going to be afraid of you, so watch yourselves. Be careful with yourselves. Look at verse 5. Now, here's a good message for all of us as we go about life, and especially life in the world. Don't meddle with them. Don't meddle with them. Don't get involved in their business. Don't meddle with them. Be nice. Do what you're supposed to do, but don't meddle with them. Don't get in other people's business. You know why? He says, God says, this is not part of the land I am giving you. I will not give you any of their land, so don't meddle with them. But as you pass through, if you need anything, if you need food, if you need water, you give them money for it. You know why? Because nobody is going to take credit for what I'm doing for you. You don't ask the people of the world to prosper the church. That's my business, God says, and my people's business. I'm not, you're not involved in the inheritance of what the world's going to inherit, and thank God when it comes. But don't meddle, and if you have to use anything, you show character and integrity and you pay for it. But no one's going to say, we helped Israel to get to where they were, and so you owe us something. Because God says to him you will buy food you will do that because look at what he says in verse 7 for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands he knows that you've been trudging in this wilderness for these 40 years the Lord your God has been with you every step of the way and you have lacked nothing so he said it's not time to be a taker now you ain't lack nothing and you're not going to lack nothing so when you go through, you pay for what you use. And that was a promise that he gave to him. You're not going to inherit their land. Now look at what he says in verse 9. 
Then Moses said, the Lord God spoke to me before we got ready to march. And he said, do not harass who? Who? Moab. Do not harass Moab. A command from God. He says, you will not harass them, nor will you contend with them in battle. Look how specific he is. I will not give you any of their land for possession. I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Did you hear that? They are descendants of Lot. I've promised them that land. I promised Abraham another land. You're going to that land. You're not taking their land. So again, I say, if the descendants of Lot, who was a godly man... If the descendants of Lot had stayed godly and if they had stayed in the word of God instead of turning against the word of God and despising it, not knowing it, would they have been afraid when Israel tramped through? No. No. Because God says you're not going to touch them, you're not going to harass them, and you're not going to go to battle with them, and you're not taking any of their land. So did he have a right to be afraid up there? You know why he was afraid? He didn't know the word of God. You and I have over 7,000 promises in the Word of God. 7,000 promises for the people of God. And yet most of the time we forget them or we don't know them or we turn our back on them when times get hot, don't we? We let it go. He said, you're not going to touch them. But they are afraid of you, so be careful with yourselves. And so they were. They were camped out there doing exactly what God told them to do. And they didn't have to worry about it. But you know what God says in Hosea 4, 6 about those who turn their back on the word of God and the doctrine and think the Bible's worth nothing in God's word? My people get destroyed for, and perish for a lack of knowledge. That's how we get destroyed. That's how we get taken down is when my people forget about my word and quit acting like they're supposed to do. So look at what all is going to involve and evolve in this story because a king and a nation that should have been godly had turned their back on God. Now think about that. Here is a leader and a people that were descendants of Lot and should have been God's people and know God's promises and acted in what the word of God says. But they become afraid. And all of this is going to evolve because they don't know the word of God and the promise that that land was yours and we're not going to touch it. God gave Balaam. Balaam is another guy who used to have a life of a soothsayer. And he has now become a child of God. But now he's going to be weak and tempted into these things. And I want you to know God gave him six chances. God gave Balaam six chances to repent and walk away from what he was doing. Three times was when he rode on his donkey. You remember that? The, the angel of the Lord met him three times in the way. And he didn't turn around and go back. He gets up on the mountain he tries to earn the money. He was greedy. He wanted the fame and the power and the money. And he was greedy. So even though he had just got through three attempts on his life and three warnings from God, he keeps on going in that direction. And now three times he tries to curse the people of God. And God turns it into blessing. And he doesn't just walk away, but he keeps trying. Seventh time God's going to take him out, isn't he? We're going to see that today. Here's what happened. Numbers 25, if you want to keep following along. Balaam couldn't curse, only bless. And we, we read the, the scripture that God gave Moses and said, because I love you, and I wouldn't listen to him. So when he found that out, he still had an itch. Six times God had turned him away. Six times he said, I've still got to try to find a way to curse him so I can get my money. So he said, I've got it. He got an inspiration. He says, I can't curse him. But he goes to the kings and he says, I can't curse him. But I'll tell you how you can get to him and be able to destroy him. We got to work from the inside. You know, the Ephesian elders was warned. It says, there'll be wolves in sheep's clothing that will come from the inside and try to destroy you. You know, a lot of times it's, 
It's from the inside that trouble begins too. We've got enough problems with, with the outside, but sometimes the outside sends people to the inside. He says, here's what we're going to do. You know, Satan loves to work from the inside. And he says, here's what I want you to do so that you can destroy him and I can get my millions. He said, they got a weakness. If you will take and go throughout your entire villages of Moab and get all of the beautiful women and send them down there to those men on the, that are guarding and on the outskirts and doing all of that and start getting friendly with them and start telling them, hey, you want to see how we worship our God? Yeah, well, how do you guys worship your God? And they'll say, well, we like to have a party. We like to have a feast. And then we all get kind of drunk, and then we get kind of lasciviousness. And go look that word up. That means some illicit little things go on and clothes come off and that kind of stuff. And says, this is how we worship our God. And they're like, oh boy, really? So they start falling for it. Now look at chapter 25. Where I ask you to follow along. So Israel, that was the advice and the counsel of Balaam when he knew that he couldn't curse him, but I can find a way for it. So Israel was staying there in the valley of the Acacia Grove below the mountain. The people of God began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people of God to go to their sacrifices and to worship their God. And God's people ate with them. And they bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined themselves with Baal of Peor. And just as Balaam predicted, if you look at verse 3, it ends with this solemn thing. The anger of the Lord was now kindled against Israel. The Lord had told Moses then because of what was happening, Balaam's counsel is working. We've got to put an end. There's a plague going on with my people right now. And he says, take all the leaders and you go find all the offenders in this thing, all who are joining themselves with the Moabites and unto Baal Peor, and I want you to hang them. I want you to take them and I want you to set them out and I want you to hang them facing the sun. Why? Because they you thought God looked down through that, that light and that way maybe God's anger will be appeased from them. So you take them all and you hang, hang them. Anyone who joined in. And maybe the plague of death will cross from this. Now, I want to tell you the wild story of Zimri, Zimri and Cosby. You ever heard of them? You ever heard of Zimri and Cosby? Miss Sandy, you ever heard of Zimri and Cosby? Told you you might get something new today. This isn't a very joyful story. But it's a true story from the word of God. So I want you to see what he says. While these hangings were taking place in this worship to bow Peor and to bowing down and doing all the worship and all the different things that they were doing. There was one guy who was brazen enough. Zimri by name. Zimri comes up and he's got a Moabite princess. And he is so proud of this Moabite princess. She was the daughter of one of the high princes of Moab that he started parading her through his brethren. He, he grabbed her and said, guys, look what I got. Look at me. Look at this. And he started parading Cosby all around. Then it says, even in the sight of Moses. Moses was stunned, I think. Moses didn't react. None of the people did. And you know what he did? You know how brazen he was? He took that girl into the tent of the tabernacle of God. In the house of God. And he began laying with her inside the doorway. Moses was stunned. But there was one man that wasn't. Phineas. Phineas was the son of Eliezer. Eliezer was the son of Aaron. He was destined to be a high priest in the future. He saw what was happening. And he was armed. And he took his javelin spear, and he went running into the door of the tabernacle. And the word of God says that he took that spear and he rammed it through both of them as they were laying there. 
through the man and through the woman, and they were pinned to the ground. What do you think God had to say about that? About doing that right there with your spear in the house of God. Verse 8, he thrust them through both the man and the woman and threw her body down to the ground. When he did, you know what happened? The word of God says the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. You know how many died in that plague up to this point? 24,000 children of God had died in the plague up to now because of God's anger against them for what they were doing. And then the Lord God spoke to Moses, and this is what he had to say about Phinehas. Look at verse 11. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, he is the one who turned back my wrath from the children of Israel. Therefore, I am giving to him my covenant of peace to him and his family forever. It's an everlasting covenant of peace and priesthood. For he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Yeah. I remember someone else who was jealous for the house of God and zealous, and he turned over all the tables of the money changers because you have taken my house of prayer and turned it into a den of thieves. And they remembered how that it said that, that the zealousness of the God would fill his heart Here was a man who said, oh no, not in God's house you ain't doing that. And he grabbed his spear and he took care of business. And God said, you stayed my anger because I was getting ready to fix all of you up a little bit. And he took care of it. But the domino effect that I want you to see is the reason that 24,000 children of Israel died. In a minute, we're going to see that... He takes, God says now, go ahead and give me that next slide. So now the Lord spoke spoke to him. And after all that happened, the Lord said, you know what? My atonement was done by Phinehas, but here's what's going to happen. Because they listened to Balaam and they harassed you and caused my anger to be there. I am now going to allow you to harass them back. And he says, You go and attack them, Moses, because they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Baal, Peor, and with Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed that day when the plague was going on and when I stopped the plague because of her death. So Israel is going to go in now. They're preparing to go in and harass back because of what had happened. It's God's payback to this people for listening to, to, to the prophecies of the dark side to try to, to do harm to his people. And it says that when they go in there, they kill every man that there was. And it's going to list the five kings of, of the area. And guess who else died in the battle? Balaam. Because he had now become a part of them for the money and the prestige and power. He was a part of them. Every male of that country was put to death. So you got every male that was living there from the descendants of Lot, which should have been a godly people. You got 24,000 children of Israel who died. You've got all of this stuff that's going on. The domino effect was it's because they didn't know the word of God or they turned their back on the word of God. Balaam and Israel turned their back on the word of God. The people of Moab had already turned their back a long time ago and walked away from him, and they didn't know doctrine. If they knew the word and they knew the promises of God for them, they'd never been afraid, and none of this stuff would have ever happened. So as our praise team comes on back up, I hope that you've learned a lot this day. But I hope that number one, what you've learned is that there is nothing more powerful. There is nothing more important for your life. There is nothing that will stop the dominoes from falling in your life into some things that you don't want to happen. 
The word of God is the most powerful thing and important thing in your life to stop all of that. Because if you don't know the word or you turn your back on the word, you begin making decisions like the people of the world and then you get in trouble. So I pray that that's the strongest lesson that you've learned today is to love the word of God. It's the most important thing that he left for us. Second, how much God loves you. You remember how we started off with that? God loves you with an infinite love, a love that even while I was a sinner, he sent his son to die for me. And go ahead and give me the next one, Miss T, as we close. And we still have to worry about Balaam today, don't we? The church today has to worry about Balaam. Look at Revelation 2.14. This is the Lord's word. This is Jesus Christ writing to the church at Pergamos. And he says this. I have a few things against you. Because you have there. Now get this. This is, this is 1,400 years later. 1,500 years later after Balaam. The church there. I have this. You have there. At the church of Pergamos, people who still hold on to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and they began sacrificing to idols and doing all that. We still have preachers. We still have churches. We still have those of the houses of God out there, and especially those on TV, who are still teaching the doctrine of Balaam. Hank Williams, I told you, he, Hank Williams Jr. is one of my favorite artists. And he's got a song that says, uh, they want you to send your money to the Lord, but they give them their address. <laughs> you turn on the TV and whose address are they giving you? For profit. The doctrine of Balaam. We, we can... Pour out the church so that we can make some money. So that it's okay whatever goes on because we're doing well. No. You take the word of God and you walk in my ways and I'll bless you and you'll never lack nothing. But you get outside of my ways and everything can break loose and fall apart. We still have to worry about that today. And if you're here, the first way to get involved in that is it says there in Matthew 28, 19, 18, 19, and 20 that we read a while ago. Jesus has all authority. He loves you so much. He says, go, make, try to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'll give you a promise. You teach them to observe the things I've commanded you, walk in my ways, learn Bible doctrine, don't depart from it, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're here this day and you've not done that, I pray that you won't leave here without doing it. We've got everything ready, even spare clothes and, and towels. For those of us who have made that commitment, we're still learning, aren't we? We're still getting taught all things, learning new things, how to walk in his ways and learning that the word of God is the rock that we stand on because the word is Christ. He is the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So we pray, Father, thanking you. Who says your word isn't alive and powerful? Who says that the things of old aren't important for us today? That's one of the most important lessons we could ever learn from your word, Father, on how your character is and how you act and how we are to be as a people of yours. Your word, it says, that you have exalted your word even above your name. That's how important it is. So, Father, I pray that each and every soul that is represented here and who couldn't be here, that we will be under the shelter of your wings. I pray that you will guide, guard, direct us, Father, continue to teach us, continue to help us, because we are just a, a bag of flesh that's going to turn to dust and a hank of hair, and we're weak, Father, and a lot of times we have that same fear, and a lot of times we turn our back, and a lot of times we even forget the things that we did know. So, Father, I pray that you would put your spirit within us to prompt us always to seek you and your word and let it guide us. And I thank you for this story. I love your word. The folks who are sitting here loves your word. We pray that our worship was acceptable to you this day.
We pray that you were glorified, Father, and exalted. In Jesus' name we pray.